Hey, thanks so much for being here. This is My City Church, and this is our podcast. We hope you are inspired to love God, love people, and lead in life. Enjoy the message. Well, good morning, My City Church. How are you guys doing this morning? This amazing Father's Day. What a beautiful day to to grill some hamburgers or some hot dogs, go to a fair maybe, or do some boating. What a fantastic day. So all the men say, thank you, Jesus, for looking out for our special day that we get once a year to show us how much we are valued. (laughs) But Truth Project week two, last week was a fantastic week. If you didn't have a chance to be here last week, look it up on the podcast. We talked about two different worldviews and what do we do when uh, we're confronted with a worldview that is opposite to what we hear in the Bible. How do we handle that? How do we walk in that? We'll go into a little bit more detail here soon, but reading the first scripture, this is our theme verse for the Truth Project series, and it is this, Romans 12, verse 2. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. We talked about that word last week. That transform is the Greek word metamorpho. It's where we get the word metamorphosis. It's the same terminology when you say a caterpillar turns into a butterfly. So something that could be considered ugly, sorry to offend you if you love caterpillars, but into something beautiful such as a butterfly or a moth. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Last week's message was called Truth on Trial. How can we know that there's a trial going on over truth? Well, there is. Truth is in question every single day. We tell people, well, you got to live your truth. Stay true to what's true to you. But can I tell you today that there is an ultimate truth? There is an absolute truth. It boggles my mind when people say there's no absolute truth, but that in itself is an absolute truth statement. Can I tell you that there is an absolute truth, and we base it off the Word of God? And we talked about how Jesus came and why he came and the reason behind him coming. And he himself said, this is why I came. You guys remember it? He said, I came to testify to the truth. We find that in John chapter 18, verse 37. John 18, 37, part B. You are right in saying I'm a king. This is Jesus talking. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. To testify to the truth. And that's what we're going to be talking about here today. I'm going to speak to you in the spirit of Father's Day upon this topic, the Father's heart. The Father's heart. Let's pray this morning. God, I thank you for your word. Your word is truth. It is sharper than a double-edged sword, good to divide bone and marrow. God, I thank you that it is good for edification. It is also good for rebuking. God, I thank you that you've given us your word and that you are speaking to us. I pray that the name of Jesus would be lifted high, that I would preach a thousand messages to each and every person. God, that you would open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see you for who you really are. God, we want to see you today. And we pray that you would open our hearts to receive you today. And just right now, church, just open up your hands like this. If your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed and you opened up your hands, then I knew you were peeking. And just say these words. Lord, speak to me. I'm listening. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Come on, put your hands together for the word of God this morning. Hey, 
if you weren't here last week, it was a fantastic message, a fantastic week, and you really missed out. So take a look at the podcast, but I'm going to do a quick recap of what we covered last week. And we talked about three questions that you can ask anyone when it confronts your worldview, your truth that is found in the Bible. How many of you wrote down those three questions in your notebook last week? Good, good, good. That's great. That's great. We had three questions. How many of you used them on, their wi- on your wife or your spouse last week? Hopefully no hands go up because I explicitly said not to because uh, it, can, it can open up a can, of, a can of worms or a can of whoopa, a whoopa-doo, all sorts of stuff for you. And uh, that rhymes too, just like that. And um, you want to know what it's like to be survivor man? We'll use those against your wife and then you'll be surviving in the backyard. Three questions to ask anyone that confronts your world truth, and it's this, these three. It says, what do you mean by that? So someone says something contrary to the word of God or contrary to, to the truth. What do you mean by that? How do you come to that conclusion, and have you ever considered? My goal through this series is not to come and tell you that you are wrong. It is not to tell you that I am right. My goal is to point to you the Bible and what the Bible says. And to say to any worldview that opposes this, have you ever considered what God says? Have you considered what God says? And as God's people, we need to base our lives off of this book. We need to base our lives off of what Jesus said, what God, the word of God says, more than what the world says. So you have two different worldviews competing against each other. There's a godly worldview, and then there's a secular worldview. That's why Jesus came, to testify to the truth of a godly worldview. There is a battle going on, and it's a battle between truth and lies. And I want to give you four, the, the natural re- digression of society. We talked about that also, a little recap in the last week. There was four different things that through Romans 1 we talked about that happens to society. It says what we do is we suppress God in order to control our truth. Because if we can suppress God, then we don't have to report to God. If we don't have to report to God, there's no consequences for our actions. So we can control our own truth. Suppressing God enables us to be able to abandon him. Because I don't have to worry about any actions. Repercussions. Abandoning God gives us a false wisdom, and this false wisdom causes us to claim to be like God, knowing good and evil. And we see this happening in society today. We see it rampant in the world. We see it rampant in, in, in communications. We see it rampant in social media. This is the natural regression of society. Now, it all goes back to what happened in the Garden of Eden. When de- devil asked those, these question, this question to Adam and Eve, he said these words, Did God really say... That question is still being asked today because everything that comes against God's word will start with those questions. Did God really say? Because if God said it, that makes it true. And if the devil can get us to question God's truth, he gets us to distort God's design and order because God has an order. In the fabric of creation, he has woven complex systems that reflect in essence who he is at the core of his being. God has an order for things, and today we are going to look at his design and what that means. But before we dive into that, in the spirit of Father's Day, I want to tell you how much I love being a dad. Do you love being a dad? I love being a dad. I have four little kids. You call this uh, smart or stupid. We have four kids under five and under from this beautiful woman, my wife, Kelly. Uh, We have four. The oldest, she is five. Her name's Eva. And then it goes, then we have a little boy, his name's Winston, he's three, and he'll tell you that. And uh, he loves to ride his bike and uh, play catch, he loves all that, and he loves to fight. 
He goes, Papa, can we fight? Almost every day. It's inevitable. He'll ask me if we can fight. And then we have Nora. She's two. And then we have Margaret. She's one. And what I love most about being a dad is seeing their creativity, seeing how they can come up with things to entertain themselves, seeing of different solutions they have uh, to what is fun to them. And if it's not fun to me, it will be fun to me if I make it fun because I'm hanging out with them. Hello, that's just a little dad note there. But I love seeing their creativity. And we had a little bit of a conundrum that happened last year during COVID. Everyone was cooped up in a house and we couldn't go to the playground. They shut down the playgrounds. We couldn't go to the playgrounds, uh, so we were cooped up in the house, and uh, so we just started bringing out some things, you know, some containers and stuff, and just basically let them just play with whatever they want. Well, long behold, something happened that was, it could have been very tragic, um, but I stepped in the nick of time, and I want to show you what happened through this video. They canceled school or suspended school for a time. And if we want the Federal Department of Education to make it clear that the burden of standardizing testing, which back in my day was governor, I remember takes a number of days and sometimes up to a week to administer, uh, is not going to be placed on schools. But we'll have the secretary here uh, to address that very specifically, and, and it's a, a very good point on your part. I got one question for you. Should I let him do it? <laughs> could have turned it into some video or to uh, YouTube video or TikTok, or it could have got turned into CPS. I don't know which one I want. <laughs> Dad was sitting there watching it happen. What, I, what you didn't see in the video is I had just had shoulder surgery a week before that. And so I was one shoulder down, and that's why the hand gets covered up, because I'm like, oh, no, trying to reach it with one hand. But did you see the disappointment on Winston's face when I told him, no, you cannot throw your sister down the stairs in a container? He was heartbroken. It's like, no, come on. I wanted to do it. I wanted to take, I wanted to do something. It would have been fun. She would have loved it. I didn't look like Eva was having a whole lot of fun. And she knew what was going to happen. The moment she heard that click, you heard her say, no, no. She knew he was locking her in there. I really just wanted to see if he would go through with it. That way I waited, and I waited until he started to push it before I intervened. But the look on Winston's face is what puzzles me. That he could be so brokenhearted about something that I was going to confront that was going to injure his sister. But he didn't know it. But don't we do the same thing with God? When God confronts something that we want to do or we seem right... We lose, our, we lose our temper. We're saying, well, this isn't right. This isn't fair. God, why do you say this? We do the same thing with God. You see, there's an order to life. What is your reaction when God introduces his order to your worldview? When he confronts your lie 
with his truth. I want you to know today that God has an order and that God is a God of order. Everything has been set in place from the beginning of time to declare his glory and his order. There's a few verses I want to highlight today that declare God's order. These are just a few. It's Job 25, 2 says this, Dominion and awe belong to God. He establishes order in the heights of the heavens. 1 Corinthians 14, says, For God is not a God of disorder. James 3.16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. I find it very interesting that he relates disorder to every evil practice. That where you find disorder, where you find the suppressing of the truth, where you find we make our own truth, where you find that, you find disorder and every evil practice. God has complex systems woven throughout creation. Complex ones, very complex, way out of my pay grade. <laughs> I ain't no, uh, I ain't no, I just basically just disqualified myself by using that word, those words. I ain't no microbiologist. <laughs> I can't extrapolate on the complexities of life that make it clear for you to ascertain. A little bit better. <laughs> But God has complex systems woven throughout creation. There's systems such as the atom, the nucleus of the atom and how the atom is formed, the cellular system that we have, the skeletal system that we have, the circulatory system that we have, the system of photosynthesis, metamorphosis, we talked about that earlier, pollination, different water cycles of, of rain that falls, goes into reservoirs, it gets pulled up through evaporation, and then it fall, rains again. The lunar tides, the solar system, there's many complex systems woven throughout creation. And we talked about last week how no one can, with their right mind can look at these complex systems and to say they happen by chance. No one who walks through a forest sees a watch laying on the ground, immediately assumes, wow, look what the trees and the rocks and the dirt have created. Given enough time, this is amazing how we have a watch that is formed from the ground that goes perfectly on my wrist. No one in their right mind assumes that, but we do that with creation. We do that with evolution. Have you ever considered, have you ever considered that worldviews that we are presented with are actually contrary to what the Bible says? Because a truth is only a truth that's presented by one party and not confronted by another. It's nothing more than a narrative. What happens when someone confronts your truth? What happens when you confront someone else's truth? The natural rebuttal is to attack the person's character or their education rather than uh, going after the argument or talking about the argument. But I want to say that God has so many systems woven throughout creation and he has an order as well, not just in creation, but also in family. He has an order in family. God said these words after creation. After every day of creation, he said these words. Do you remember what they were? It was day one, then at the end of the day, he said, it is, it is good, right? What did he say after day two? He said, it is good. What did he say after day three? It is good, day four. Okay, we get it, Eli, where are you going? Well, God can only make good things because it reflects his nature. What I say earlier, God is great, God is good. Everything that God creates reflects his nature. Everything that doesn't reflect his nature, we'll dive into this further on in the weeks, is actually a, a product of our behavior and what we've done. 
But God creates everything that reflects his nature. He said, it is good, it is good, it is good. But he says something very interesting. After he creates man, which, by the way, a little dad joke humor, <laughs> bear with me today. What time of day did God create Adam? A little bit before evening. Ah. <laughs> hey. All right, here's another one. Here's another one. Who was the best dad in the Bible? David, because he rocked Goliath to sleep. Dad joke humor. Dad joke humor. But when God created Adam, we find that in Genesis chapter 1, but in Adam, Genesis chapter 2, he says these words. Who has her Bible here? Let me see a Bible here. She has a bookmark, because I did this last service, but, so do you have it highlighted? I want you to read Genesis 2, chapter 2, verse 18. Yeah. Then the Lord God said, it is not good. Hold on. How can God, who is good and does good and is great, make something that is not good? Well, in order to find this, the, the solution to this problem, we have to dive into God's nature. Can I tell you, any problem that you have that you see, you got to look at the nature of God. When God created laws, when he created rules, when he was talking about the Ten Commandments, when he made those, how did he come about to say murder is wrong? Thou shalt not kill. Do you think he was up in heaven, bear with me for a moment, talking to Gabriel and saying, Gabriel, we're creating this earth. Do you think we should allow people to kill one another? Gabriel says, Lord, only you know. He says, well, hey, how about this? Let's flip a coin and see what it lands on. Heads is no kill. Tails is kill. Sounds good to me, God. All right, Gabriel, here we go. Flip. Heads. Hey, look at that. No kill. Good job, Gabriel. Lucifer's over here in the corner like, oh, man, I lost again. Well, let's do, let's do like lying. Let's do like bear false witness. Let's see that again. The devil won 10 out of 10 times. Anyone that knows statistics knows that is very, 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 very unlikely to flip a coin and it land 10 times in a row. No, because God was painting laws. He was painting, when he said the Ten Commandments, he, all he was doing was describing things that were his nature. Because God was talking and reflecting his nature into humanity, saying, it is not right to bear false witness because I do not lie. It is not right to, to, to murder because I do not murder. It is not right to steal because this is my nature. I do not steal. It is not right to have any other gods before me because lo and behold, I'm the God. <laughs> and we can dive a lot into that. I know I'm making it very simple, but there's a whole lot of information out there for you to discover and for you to find that talks about everything reflecting the nature of God. But God says these words, it is not good. What kind of words are those? Is it a qualitative statement? Is it an ethical statement? A pragmatic, moral? What is it? Good, bad, what is it? Why is God saying it is not good? Qualitative mean the quality of something. It is not good that I've made something that is wrong or is an ethical statement. So let's look at the Trinity. Let's look at the very nature of who God is. I want you to know that when we look upon the nature of God, God's nature determines truth. God's nature determines truth. So we have to look at God to find truth. And I love this quote by theologian R.C. Sproul who passed away just a few years ago, he says this. He says, when the Christian faces the doctrine of the Trinity, there's one of the most puzzling problems for the mind to grasp. 
Indeed, it is a mystery. It's not a contradiction, but it's a mystery. How can we have a being who is one in essence and three in person? Notice he's not one in essence and three in essence. That would be contradictory. But rather, our God has unity and diversity within his own being. Now, the beauty of that is that one of the oldest questions that philosophical investigation has resolved in God himself, and that is the question of the one and the many. The oldest philosophers looked around the world in which they lived, and they saw trees, flowers, animals, rain, and sunshine, all of this diversity, and they said, we have all these many things. How do we make sense of them? Is there nothing that unifies this diversity? That's why we get the term universe and university. Trying to find some kind of transcendent unity that will bring coherence and meaning to all of the wide-ranging diversities that we encounter. That is found in God himself, who in his very being is unity and diversity. Three in perfect harmony with each other. God is one, but God is three parts. You are one, but you have three parts. You have your body, your soul, and your spirit, but still you. Make a little bit more sense? Body, soul, spirit, but still you. But I want you to know at the essence of who God is, God has community. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God hovered over the waters, and he said to himself, they said amongst each other, he has community within himself, and then he creates an isolated being and said, it is not good to be isolated. It is not a qualitative statement. It is an ethical statement because it does not reflect the true nature of who God is. And this is what God does is he creates Eve and tells them to bear fruit, basically have kids. So he makes this structure. The first structure that he makes, a social structure in humanity, is the family. The father, the mother, and the child. The father, the mother, the child. The father, the son, the Holy Spirit. The father, mother, and child directly, directly reflect the Trinity of God. It's such a great picture of the triune nature of God stamped upon his first social institution. And it should not be a surprise to us that the world hates the nature of God, also hates this structure as well. See, the devil absolutely despises God's design and order. And when he sees the family structure, he sees God. So it should be no question why the family is under attack. It should be no question why the integrity of manhood is under attack, why the integrity of femininity is under attack, why children are being under attack as well. The devil's trying to misplace the very identity of God's first stamp on creation of who the Trinity is and who God is. The devil's trying to divide it. And if he's going to divide it, he's going to start with the head. And we've seen this play out. The devil starts with the head. Fathers, I want to take a moment, men in here, not just fathers, but men in here, I want to take a moment to talk to you today, and I want to be able to share with you my heart. We've seen, a, we've seen men under attack. We get our idea of manliness from Hollywood. How many of you guys watched The Simpsons growing up? Yeah? What about Family Guy? Family Guy? There's some... Great, hilarious things in those videos. But can I tell you, the way they paint the man is not an appropriate reflection of who a man should be. Homer goes to work, goes to work, comes home, cracks open a beer, sits on the couch, watches TV, goes to bed, goes to work. Beats on Bart a little bit when Bart's 
doing stuff, and it's just, that's a reflection. Can I tell you that whether knowingly or unknowingly to Hollywood, the devil is using that to distort our picture of what a man really looks like? And it's not just in Hollywood, but it's happening in schools. Boys are discouraged to be boys. Boys get in trouble, are 12 times more likely to get in trouble in middle school because their behavior does not reflect that of girls. Can I tell you, what if for a moment the system was engineered to make boys into women and help them, tell them to deny themselves? Why do they force boys to read Little House on the Prairie and tell them they need to like it? Well, no duh, a boy's going to get bored out of his mind reading Little House on the Prairie. Now I have some of the haters in here going, it's a good book! <laughs> I'm just playing. But I'm not at the same time. It's both. How can you expect someone to excel in something that teaches them to deny what they've been naturally bent towards in terms of being a man? We have boys that they can't play tag on schools because it's detrimental to people's self-esteem. They get tagged first, then it's, so they don't even allow them to play tag. They can't play tug of war, instead they turn it into hug of peace. Can't play Red Rover, Red Rover, send Eli right over because uh, you best believe I would run right through that thing. <laughs> but they're not allowed to play Red Rover anymore. Can't play dodgeball. Can't do any aggressive sports. Shoot, you can't even play cops and robbers anymore. You can't play that. Boys have been told to suppress their testosterone. Rather than teaching boys how to handle a loss, we give everyone a participation trophy and call everyone a winner. And if we call everyone a winner, we find that no one even tries anymore. In an effort to create equality, we have created apathy. And I want you to understand today that you are leading your family regardless because when a man fails to lead, he still leads, but he leads in failure. You are leading your family. You're just either leading them righteously or honestly, you're leading them to let the world completely influence them. You are leading your own life. You're leading your own life. Whether you have kids or not, doesn't matter. You're leading your own life. And now are you going to lead it and let God guide you, or are you going to let the world determine your values? A great quote I heard from a man, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a father, a husband? Because you can be married and still be a little boy. You can have a child but not be a father. It was a great book that was introduced to me by a, by a wonderful person. It was a, name, it was a, a book by Edwin Lewis Cole book called Maximize Manhood. If you haven't picked up the book, check it out. Go on Amazon, give it a read. It's a little bit of an older book, so it has some older language, but it's a fantastic read, and I encourage every single man in here, order that. It'll be the best 11 bucks you've ever spent. Talk about investing in yourself. We'll go spend $11 at Chipotle, but we won't spend $11 on reading a book to better ourselves. Hey, hello, hello, but this is a quote. This is a quote. It says, the ability to procreate does not make you a man. In truth, there are childlike men, immature in spirit, infantile in understanding, living on thin surface of life, ruthless, gutless, without death, and without character. Churches are afflicted with immature males, men that have shamefully forfeited spiritual leadership, abandoning it to the woman. 
It is possible to get spirituality from a woman, but strength comes from the man. A church, a family, a nation is only as strong as its men. Men, you are accountable. There is no sleek escape chute. God requires manhood from men. And I want to share with you just a few stats that that correlate to men in church. When a man is involved in discipleship, every man that comes in church, only one out of 18 are actively being discipled, actively pursuing discipleship, actively reaching out to someone that says, show me how you think. Teach me what you know. Follow me as I follow Christ. Can I tell you, I cannot drag you along in this journey. At some point, you have to say, God, what kind of man am I going to be? And am I going to be one that follows you or just lets life happen to me? You got to decide. The typical U.S. church draws an adult crowd that's 61% female, 39% male. Midweek activities often draw 70% female participants. Fewer than 10% of U.S. churches are able to establish or maintain a vibrant men's ministry. That's not my city church, amen? We got men's prayer. We got authentic manhood every Thursday night at the HQ. We got our men's conference coming up in July. Let me hear my men. We got men's conference coming up. 95% of men who attend a conference make a life-changing decision for Christ. 60% get connected in a group. 25% make a decision for Christ, a first-time decision or a recommitment. Mothers attend church regularly and the father doesn't. Percentage of children attending after their adults is 1.5%. If both the mother and father attend church, the percentage of children attending as adults is 33%. If a father attends but the mother doesn't, the chance of a child attending church after they're an adult is 44%. In short, if a father does not go to church, no matter how faithful his wife's devotions, only one in 50 will become a regular church attender and worshiper. If a father does go to church regularly, regardless of the practice of the mother, between two-thirds and three-quarters of their children will become churchgoers. In an unrelated story or survey that I also picked up uh, in the U.S. found fathers to be highly influential in church attendance. It found that if a child is the first person in a household to become a Christian, there's a 3.5% probability everyone else in the household will follow. If the mother is the first to become a Christian, there's a 17% chance that the whole house will follow. However, when the father is first, there is a 93% probability everyone in the household will follow. Can I tell you, men, that your leadership and your voice matters? Not just in your family but all the other families that are in this city and around this nation. There comes a point you have to decide, my family's following me. How am I going to set that example? How am I going to lead them? Acts chapter 16 tells a story of a jailer who asks, how can I be saved? Jailer makes a decision, and him and his whole household come to know Christ. And I think it's because he made that decision first. And everyone else followed. Can I tell you that as a man, a man of God, You have to be able to set the standard for your family. And that looks different. Looks a little different for everyone. But we have our men's prayer every group week on Thursdays, Thursday nights. And uh, we have roughly 60, 50, 60 men every group week on Thursday mornings, not Thursday nights, sorry. And we go over these five things. It's these five things that we cover. It's leader man, faith man, wisdom man, generous man, miracle man. 
we pray over those five things over each other and over this church. Hey, you may feel like I don't have time to go to prayer. Well, we still got men that are praying for you. Amen. We're still praying for you. These are the five things we cover each and every week. And I'm going to go into a little bit of an example of my interpretation of each and every one of these. This is not the absolute. This is how I see it. But leader man, leader man, lead your family and your, your, your life and your family. Reject passivity. Adam was passive in the Garden of Eden. We have men that are allowing life to happen to them. Can I tell you that the most dangerous thing for your marriage, your family, and if you're single, your life, is to get caught in a rut. A rut is nothing more than a grave with both ends kicked out. And if you're stuck in a rut, it's a grave with both ends kicked out. You're nothing more than the walking dead. Going to life, going to work, going home, going to sleep, going to work, going home, going to sleep, it's nothing more than the walking dead. Meanwhile, life is passing you by. We have to choose to be a man that refuses to let life pass us by. If we do not lead them, someone else will. Our wives will have to carry the mantle she was never meant to carry. Now, are you going to lead your family? Are we going to lead our family? Or are we going to let culture lead our families? Joshua said these words, you can do what you want, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Are we going to declare that over our family? If you have children that have gone astray, even if you have questions about the outcome, it is about time that we start, stop trusting our own ability and start trusting God. He will equip you if you step out. You do not need to know it all. Believe me, you do not need to know it all. But that is okay because in your weakness, he is strong because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. Next thing we pray over is faith man. Guard your family. Are you full of faith? You are meant to be the spiritual priest over your family. Do not leave that to the woman of this church. Do not leave that to your wife. Do not even leave that to me because it is your responsibility to be the priest over your family. And you have what it takes. I don't know the whole Bible. That's okay. That's okay. You are called to fill your family with faith, to believe in God and set the spiritual temperature of your home. You are also gatekeepers to your home. As Phineas was the gatekeeper to the house of the Lord, you are the gatekeepers of your home. You got to understand that if the devil is going to get to your family, you got to be able to take a stand and say, well, it's got to get through me first. What kind of things do we let in our home? I remember one time my dad, we, he came home from work and he, he drew a line in the sand and said, guys, I have four brothers. He says, we're not going to watch the Simpsons anymore in this house. I mean, I think I was like 10 or something. I go, well, why is that? And he said, because they talk bad about God, they degrade God, and that's not okay. And so we're not going to watch it anymore. Yeah, it's a funny show, and it has all this, but it's not worth it. To destroy your view of who God is and to not show honor and respect, this is something I won't put up with. And I tell you, as a man, you're a gatekeeper to your home. You are praying over your home, protection over your home, protection over your family, protection over your wife. You are called to do that. And if you step out and you don't feel like you know it all, it's okay. Because you got a whole bunch of men that are supporting you. You got any questions, you reach out. We got a men's channel in here. You jump on team, you get thrown in that men's channel. All sorts of men. If you need anything, there's plenty of people in here that can help walk you through it. I don't have it all figured out. And I don't pretend to. One of the worst, I'll get a little real, one of the worst things that woke up my call one time we were cleaning the windows at the house and I had an extension ladder and I had a bucket and I had a little squeegee and I was cleaning these windows 
And I looked behind me, and Eva was, I think, three at the time. Winston was two. And they were up on the ladder, you know, eight feet high with me. And I get really aggressive. I go, what are you guys doing? Get down. Just yelling at them. And Eva says, Papa, we want to help. Well, I was getting frustrated at the time. And then I get down from cleaning the windows. I found that they were playing with the other squeegees, getting all the grass in them. So now there's grass in my clean water bucket. And I lose it. Go in the house. Go help mom. I'm not saying it's great. I'm saying I have flaws too. I go inside. I start cleaning the inside of the windows. And uh, by then, it's another 20 minutes. Eva's back over in the kitchen. And I'm cleaning the inside window. And I knock over one of Kelly's pots, her plants. It falls on the ground. And it breaks. And I, I said the S word so loud. <laughs> and Eva turns the corner and goes, Papa, you said... <laughs> and I quickly divert it and I go, oh no, mommy's plant. And she goes, oh no. I'm not perfect. You don't have to be. God's looking for someone that's available. God's looking for a man that's available. Next thing we talk about is wisdom, man. I say this, lean on God. God will give you wisdom for the season you are in. That's fine if you feel inadequate, good, because it's not about you. The Bible says if any man lacks wisdom, he should ask. Wisdom is also learned from other men. Don't feel like you got to give it all figured out, because you don't. That is why we are here. There are plenty of men to glean from. The next one we talk about is generous men. It's living for eternity. I have this written down here that you are blessed to be a blessing. And this is one thing I'm going to say a few times. It says, if God can't have it, if God asks from it from you, and you can't give it to him, you do not have it. It has you. This is in regards to finances. This is in regards to actually anything within your life. If the Holy Spirit, that's why whenever I talk about giving, I say, hey, just give what God asks you to give. All I ask is that you just stay faithful to that. Because I've known and I've tasted and seen that God is good, God is great, and as he provides seed to the sower, he also provides for me so that I may abound in every good work. I've seen it ring true in my life. But I realize that if God asks for it from me, it's for a reason. And if he asks for it from me and I can't give it to him, I don't have it. It has me, and it owns me. That's been my approach my entire life, and God has never let me down. So all I ask is that you just be faithful. Be faithful with what God asks you to do, whether it's putting 20 bucks in someone's pocket. He still remembers that, whatever it may be. Because if God's asking for it, it's for a reason. He wants to do something through you. We live for eternity. If God asks you to fast it, and you can't fast it, uh, what I mean by fast is, is denying food to yourself, a certain type of food or maybe just a few days of food to seek God, and you can't fast it, food has you. We are going to lead the way in generosity because we have been given so much. We don't give to get. We know that God doesn't do another thing for me. He has already done enough. We live with an eternal vantage point that God is my supplier, not an economy, not a business deal, not a paycheck, but God is my provider who cares for us. Next, last thing we talk about is miracle man. And I say, we are the conduits for God. We are not the makers of a miracle. We are the conduit. God is looking for men to use to stand in the gap and believe for the impossible. 
The God of the universe lives in us, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And if he wants to flow through you, it's about time that we start believing in a God who said he is going to. We know that God wants to flow through us, and we are to be willing and obedient. You can stand to your feet. I'm closing here. Run a little over time, so I apologize, and pray that you'd forgive me, and hopefully you still get out before the Methodist church does, and you can go to get breakfast or late lunch. And... But I leave, want to leave you with two scripture verses. This message is called The Father's Heart. And a father decides who he's going to be before the circumstances arise. In Luke 15, Luke 15, it says this. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Basically, what's happening here is we have a son that says, Dad, you're as good as dead to me. I don't want to be around here anymore. Just give me my inheritance because I'm done. Now, we don't know why. We could possibly conclude that he was fed up with the standards that his dad was putting in place. Can I tell you, no matter how hard you try, no matter how hard you pray, eventually they have to come to the decision for themselves. They have to come to that decision for themselves. And so he says, Dad, you're as good as dead. And he leaves, and he goes off. He squanders all the wealth. He ends up living. He's homeless. And he, he says to himself, my dad has so much, I should go back home and see maybe if I can even just be a servant in the house. And we find in Luke 15, the dad's response. So the son got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, which means his father was waiting for him. That even though the son left, the father never gave up on him. Can I tell you that's the father's heart? That even as you're wrestling with your worldview, as you wrestle with your order, as you wrestle with did God really say, God never gives up on you. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Can I tell you as a dad, you have to be preemptive on what your response will be. And you have to overly celebrate when they make the right choice. Go above and beyond. Don't just say, well, you could have done it better. Well, this is out where you screwed up. But say, hey, good job. I'm so proud of you. I love you. You did such a fantastic job. He threw his arms around him. He hugged him. He kissed him. He was overjoyed with him. Can I tell you that you have to make up your mind what you're going to do before the circumstance comes. And so as this church, we are going to be God's men in this city and around this region and in this church. And I'm asking you that as I go, as I go, you come right behind me and we'll place a, a trail right through the city of Omaha. Do you believe that, men? Do you believe that, church? Hey, every Thursday morning now we have men's prayer. That's every group week we have men's prayer on Thursday mornings. We say this men's confession. And men, if you know what I'm talking about, I want you to say this as loud as you can as we declare it. One, two, three. We are God's men. We are born to lead. We will live surrendered to God. We will embrace life's challenges with integrity, expecting victory at every turn. Today, I choose to be God's man in my family, at my work, and in this world. Today, as I leave, I know that God goes with me. Come on. Here, 
one second. I know you took me. God just reminded me of this. I wrote a commissioning statement. Blake, you're good. God gave me a commissioning statement, and he just told me I wanted to share. This is something that I wrote down that I wasn't going to share, but God just gave me permission. He says, as this pastor, I hereby commission you as the leader of your family. Your wife is looking to you. Your children are looking to you. God has called you. God has equipped you. God has put you over your family to lead them. You are a man of God. Do not listen to the lies the devil has been spouting in your ear, telling you that you cannot do it. Even if you didn't have a dad or a good example, you now have a heavenly father who will lead you as you lead them. God is with you. God goes before you. And as God goes before us, we're right behind him saying, God, use us. So right now, church, let me pray over you this morning. God, I thank you for the men of my city church. I thank you for the women and the wives of my city church. I thank you for the children of my city church. God, I pray that you would set us apart. God, where the world tries to get us to compromise, that we be people like Phineas, where we stand our ground. God, as a gatekeeper over our family, over our city. God, raising up the standard. God, and where we raise up the standard, the floodgates will open up over this city. God, set us apart. God, use us. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you so much for listening today. And we want to give a special thank you to those that give so generously to My City Church. We wouldn't be able to do this without you. If you would like to give today, please hit the link in the description or go to our website at mycitychurch.cc forward slash give. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please hit the subscribe button and share it on all of your social media. We love you so much. We'll see you next week. God bless.